Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for getting up on a Sunday morning. Who was in bed before midnight last night? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who was in bed? Okay, before three. <laughs> Very good. You have our total approval. And thank you so much for joining us this morning. We know how many days have you guys been at it for now? Three, four, five? Okay. We're, we're all feeling it. Adrik, how are you feeling this morning, for example? Thank you for asking. Well, I, you know, my secret was that I went early to bed yesterday. So I'm much better than the day before, I can tell you. What is the secret to success to surviving the, the festival, do you think? Um, energy, keep going. Uh, food, drink, and all the company you have. So all the friends, the new friends you make. Well, we really appreciate you being here. Um, uh, Bex and I, we, we did the session uh, this time last year on precisely this day, and we were a little fearful that at 10 in the morning on a Sunday, absolutely no one would come. Um, so we're very, very grateful, uh, and we know you've been through a kind of series of incredible conversations already, and I hope also got the chance to see some great films. A little bit about us, maybe. Bex, yeah. do you want to explain? Yeah, so uh, my name is Rebecca, or Bex, and I work at the Bertha Foundation. I'm based in New York. And together uh, with Brit Doc, we um, support social issue-related documentary film. We have two funds that we do together called the Bertha Brit Doc Journalism Fund and the Bertha Brit Doc Connect Fund. Um, we have several films uh, playing here at the festival from those funds. We also do the IDFA Bertha Fund with IDFA and Isabel, who's sitting over there. And there were 13 um, films from that fund also at the festival this year. Um, and just very, very happy to be here. And I guess, you know, what are our priorities, our loves? I mean, ours is a preoccupation with supporting the very finest independent filmmaking from around the world, supporting diverse forces, supporting great journalism, supporting underrepresented stories of our time. Mm -hmm. I guess that's the focus and priority of both of our organizations. And above and beyond just giving grants, we do a lot of work all year round mentoring and, and trying to build the capacity of some of the wonderful um, grantees that we have the, the pleasure and the privilege to support. And an area that maybe distinguishes um, Bertha and BritDoc from a number of other film organizations is we're also, in addition to thinking about the making of the films and how to do that, and that's tough in these environments, is really preoccupied with how we get films to audience. Um, we live in a time where the traditional paradigm of distribution is shaking, in some cases has shattered altogether. There is the opportunity to reach whole other kinds of audiences globally. And we're really interested in that, in, in looking beyond the traditional models and saying, how do we get these beautiful, important films to the audiences that matter? And that is our single preoccupation, really, because otherwise, what's the point? What's the point of the work? To give you a little flavor, maybe, of the, some of the films we've, we've, uh, we've supported, we're going to just queue up a little, little trailer for you guys.
Je ne suis pas même le papa. I'm not a father, but I'm a mother. I can fight to protect the gorilla or if to die for them. Okay. C'est ça ma vie. Why did you decide to do what you've done? So for me, it, it all comes down to state power against the people's ability to meaningfully oppose that power. Uh, and I'm sitting there uh, every day getting paid to design methods to amplify that state power. Я полагаю, что два года колонии общего режима данная участница посирает процессы преступления и предусмотрены уголовным кодексом войны. Часть очень печальной тенденции по возрастанию репрессивной роли государства. The rest of the world is looking at it, so they want to know what's Jacksonville going to do. Are we ever going to achieve racial justice, or are we going to act like a town that's only one generation removed from the KKK? Enough is enough. enough. We have this fund called the Bertha Britta Connect Fund, and that's for um, people who want to take the, the beautiful film that they've made and really use it as a tool to affect change in a particular around a particular issue. Um, and so we're going to talk to you a little bit about um, this notion of, of using your film as a tool, understanding that this isn't necessarily for, for everybody. And there's a terms that I'm sure you'll have heard banded around... Um, you know, probably in, in the time you've been making films, which is around this idea of what's your outreach plan, what's your engagement strategy, what's your impact strategy. And, you know, let's, let's clarify one, one big thing. Films, self-evidently, um, films have the, you know, the capacity to, to influence people, to move people, to lead them to new perspectives. You know, and documentaries have been influencing people for as long as they've been made, you know, for nearly a century or more that they've been used. Often without the filmmaker... without the filmmaker necessarily having, you know, uh, conceived a vision for doing that. Um, that is the power, that is the experience of film, of cinema, and that is not what we're talking about in this conversation. We're taking that as just red, right? That's what film does. That's its inherent, magical, beautiful, extraordinary power. If you have the ability to you know, to, to find access to an extraordinary capture, it, it, subject, uh, an extraordinary subject going through an incredible process. You have the power to connect to audiences in a, in a very special way. But what we're talking about are the, the definite strategic plans that a filmmaker makes once they have, as they're making, once they've completed their film, which is to think about 
What are the key ideas coming out of this film? And what are the most important audiences that I can reach? Of course, every filmmaker wants their film to reach as many people as possible. That's the first thing everyone will say. But beyond that, who are the most important people this, this film can reach? And what can I do with it? Yeah, we sometimes say it's not always how many eyes see a film, but it's which eyes. Um, which eyes see the film in order to make that change happen. And when people talk about an outreach or an impact or an engagement stra- strategy, they might mean something like how answering the question, how could I get this film in front of a group of politicians because there may be a specific law or an ordinance that I can influence with my film? How could I get my film in front of all school children of a certain age because there are key themes or discussion points in this film which will elucidate the world that we live in now and the choices that we'll make for the future? Or how can we get it into the hands of movements or NGO partners that can use it then to mobilize around a particular issue? And I think the key thing is here that the the filmmakers that we've had the privilege to work with over the last 10 years, um, they're developing really sophisticated and interesting strategy. And sometimes that work can last a sort of few months, maybe the the distance of the festival life of a film. And some of that work goes on for years. You know, we were with Lee Hirsch yesterday afternoon, who is now in his fifth year of a major multi-million pound, multi-year impact campaign that's lasted way beyond the traditional distribution window, which is around festivals, TV and cinema, etc. And that's what we're talking about. And this is what's so exciting about this work is that there are a proliferation of new opportunities, both in terms of funders and partners to work with who are eager to work with films in this way, um, and a, a new set of opportunities. And just to underline what Beck said, this work, this world, is not for everybody. It's not for all filmmakers. But we would like to suggest if it is for you, then there is extraordinary example and resource around you. And we hope to inspire you a little bit. We've got some wonderful filmmakers with us here today to talk about the way they've worked with their film. And we hope that will really spark imaginations. And I just want to add, um, you know, sometimes around the world, some filmmakers have been doing this for decades and decades and decades. They just haven't been calling it impact outreach. Um, this is, these are sort of an institutionalization of terminology, and hopefully what we can do is help frame it so to give people access to the resource, the new resources that exist for people that are, are doing this kind of work um, and that perhaps have been doing it for decades in places all around, all around the world. Um, so we're going to cue a short little clip um, of a, a film called Granito and a little video about how that film by uh, Pamela Yates and Paco Deonis was used, um, was used to address particular issues which you'll see um, highlighted in this clip. Ana Maria, that was my gnome de guerre when I filmed with the gorillas. Ever since I filmed these generals in 1982, I've wanted to see them pay for their crimes. It is so hard to nail senior military officers who ordered this.
when you want to indict a dictator, you need evidence. bring a ruthless dictator to justice. It was General Rios Montt in Yates' documentary, How to Nail a Dictator, clearly claiming command responsibility, which is one of the hardest things to prove in a court of law. El valor nuestro está en esa capacidad de poder responder a las acciones de mando. Eso es lo más importante. El ejército es en capacidad de reaccionar. Porque si yo no puedo controlar al ejército, entonces, ¿qué estoy haciendo aquí? ha sido condenado ordenando su ingreso directamente a prisión. But the historical memory of Guatemala will now have a different narrative as it moves forward. It's incredible pensar que. Todo lo que vimos hace poquito pasó aquí en nuestras propias calles, ¿no? Si no se une el pueblo maya, no vamos a sobrevivir. A round of applause for that film and that So that's really a filmmaker with an incredible film and also a strategy to really use it as a tool. Part of what we supported was the translation into Maya and Ixil languages um, for the distribution of the film locally and local screenings in the communities, you know, in many places with generators and sheets. Um, the premiere, the local premiere in Guatemala, which brought together so many of the organizations, the grassroots organizations that have been working around these issues. Um, and sometimes we say, you know, you really need a a beautiful film to make these these strategies work because if you're not moved by what you're seeing then it's hard for people to to take action around what you're you know what you're anticipating or hoping and that's something that um i know bex is used to me ranting about this but i'm uh, it's one of my things that probably irritates me more than anything else in the whole world which is people saying oh yeah you support social justice films those are like really weak films aren't they they're like really non-journalistic they're like really non-beautiful and i reject all of that absolutely there are poor films there are weak films made in every genre of documentary film and you know i i they're not mutually exclusive. We believe in supporting the very finest journalism, the most exquisite and innovative filmmaking. But we're also particularly interested, as two organisations, if people, if filmmakers uh, have an impulse or an instinct to take that film and deploy it in an interesting way. So I'd just like to say that out loud for the record. Um, I want to f talk about distribution of these projects. So for the longest time, and I apologise because this is a very kind of 
European, um, a Euro-US-centric view of the condition of our system, but just hear me out. Yeah. And, and, until, you know, until quite recently, distribution and impact work were seen as totally separate issues. And they came in that order. So you made a film, you hopefully sold it to a distributor or a broadcaster, and then you separately organised some impact work. And these, there were two separate questions. The distribu distribution asked, how can we sell the film to as many people as possible, making as much money as possible? And impact asks, how can we get the film to the people who really need to see it so that we can make the most impact? And what we've seen, what we saw, certainly for a few years, um, that the answers to these questions and the strategy often led to two different spheres of activities usually by separate teams with insufficient and sometimes, you know, conflicting aims. It was really, really problematic. And, you know, one of the things that I would say, and I think that's why this work is really flourishing in this new environment, you know, with the, with the advent and the overturning of the traditional distribution windows, with much more sophisticated um, approaches to strategy, actually there's the chance to do it all. And that's what we advocate. We advocate a model of impact distribution where the film team, you know, working collaboratively with, you know, a broad-minded distributor with a fantastic impact team can have it all. You know, an ambitious you know, distribution strategy which also allows for and enables a really brilliant and meaningful audience engagement strategy and impact plan. And that, for us, is the goal. And we are seeing filmmakers do just that. And it requires some bullishness on your part because you have to ask for things, ask for windows that perhaps a traditional distributor normally would say, no, 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 we don't normally allow that. And you go, yeah, 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 but I really need it. It's my priority. You know, my priority is to be able to have, I don't know, a series of influencer screenings in parliaments. You know, my priority is to actually be able to release this film to children in a certain way. And I know that breaks your conventional understanding and your conventional contract, but those are our needs because those are our impact agendas. Anyway, we're finding actually there is enormous potential for flexibility. So we say you can have it all. A beautiful, brilliant, ambitious film with a fantastic, uh, effective distribution strategy and one which can achieve those aims. And to illustrate that now, we've got an absolutely wonderful film team to introduce you to. Yeah. So I want to bring up Esther and Sandor. Um, they've made the film Judgment in Hungary, which actually uh, played here at IDFA. Was that two, was it how, two years ago? Two years ago. And so we're going to cue a little trailer, think of their film first. And then they're going to talk a little bit about how they use their film. Um, and then we're going to open up for questions.
kérem kísérjék a vándottakat is a tárgyalóterembe. everyone thank you for coming to the event and thank you for the possibility uh, I just would like to start with a personal remark it was a very long way to do this documentary uh, it took us uh, with the planning and development nearly five years so uh, the, I think the one of the most important thing that you have to believe very much in the importance of your story because otherwise uh, you wouldn't be able to uh, finish it because it's it's very hard usually to make a, a, a strong documentary. Uh, first, maybe I would like to tell a few things about uh, the production of this movie. Maybe you catch the uh, subject. Uh, the film was about a, a neo-Nazi uh, serial killing which happened in 2008, between 2008 and 2009 in Hungary when uh, a group of men uh, killed random member of the Roma community. Um, they killed uh, the Roma people randomly. It means they didn't know them. They killed even five years old child. And it was a clearly racially motivated uh, serial killing. Uh, it happened in a country where the extreme right wing party is in the parliament. Um, the country in general is very extreme right and races became recent years a mainstream phenomena. Um, we have a big Roma community, around six, seven hundred thousand. They are they live very much assimilated to the society, but they face uh, everyday discrimination, and it's uh, going on in a very dangerous way. And it's not only in Hungary, but uh, in Eastern Europe, everywhere. And I really believe that in Europe in general. Um, maybe I give the mic. And about the production, uh, we started the development in 2010, and the first two years of the production was very tough. We didn't have any serious funding because we couldn't uh, go funding uh, in Hungary for the Hungarian state fund because there is a very difficult situation, and if uh, you apply to the National Film Fund, then they can have the right for the final cut. So we had to go internationally. And the first milestone we had was at the Good Pitch uh, in Den Haag at Movies That Matters Festival in 2012, when we could uh, start building up the, the funding, international funding. And then we applied for the ITFA Summer School and then ITFA Forum. And these three milestones were the most important for us to, uh, to build up the, uh, the funding for the film. And then uh, we could sell it for... Uh, other broadcasters, so more or less it was screened in 15 countries in the, through broadcasters. And then uh, we had uh, 37 festivals worldwide. We are very proud of it. Uh, and the, <laughs> and the, pre the premiere was exactly two years ago uh, here at ITFA. And uh, some remarks uh, uh, about the distribution. Uh, for us it was very uh, tough and very 
strange situation because before the premiere, that was in November two, uh, 2013, uh, we couldn't uh, speak about the film, we couldn't do any PR because we had to be, not in a silence, but we had to be very careful about the production. But then from the premiere, everything was very fast. Everyone wanted to screen the film. We had lots of agents uh, were contacting us. And finally, we made a decision that we don't do any distribution deal. We don't sell the film for distributors and we keep everything in our hands, which was in the first half year of the distribution, it was very tough because we had to organize all the festival screenings, all the broadcasting, everything, but we, but we could have the, the rights for using in the outreach uh, the film as much as we would like to. And then the film got 16 awards uh, in one year, so it was the average was more than one award per, per month, which was very nice. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I give the mic to Esther. And then we uh, started the outreach, which was actually uh, the most important way of uh, distributing this film, because it was very important in this case of this film that it should reach the targeted audiences. Um, the, the, the message or our aim was, the main aim was to uh, stand up against the discrimination of Roma people and to uh, stand up and fight uh, against uh, discrimination and hate crimes, which uh, Roma people face on an everyday basis. Um, we had some main issues. One of them uh, were, and all these main issues, main problems, they were not uh, directly in the film, but they were indirectly because the film it didn't have any narration or didn't have any interviews. It was a clear documentation of the trial itself. So it was very important when we delivered the film to the targeted audiences to go there with experts to discuss the subject, to make debates, to uh, make booklets because uh, the background information was very much uh, needed with the film together. So the main issues of the outreach were the structural races, which is in the court, uh, during the court process, it was very obvious. Also, uh, how the police investigates racially motivated crimes, it's very obvious that they don't care so much if the victims belongs to a minority, especially if they are Roma. Uh, it was also very clear from the story that Roma people, when they are victim of uh, hate crimes or if in, the, in general, if they are victims, they don't have any legal representation. It was also a very important message to deliver to the right places. Also, racism, uh, for example, in the Hungarian society, it's very widespread. Uh, recent uh, research showed that 78% of the Hungarian people think that Roma people are genetically criminals, and 98% don't want to have a Roma neighbor. Um, the lack of uh, education uh, about Roma rights and about discrimination of Roma in the schools. Uh, they, the students in Hungary, uh, even when we had screenings at the law university or at the sociology department, they never heard that Roma people were, for example, killed during the uh, Second World War and during the Holocaust. Um, it's also very important that it was a big trauma, obviously, for the Roma community that they were uh, hunted 
and killed during the course of one year, and they never knew who would be the next one. And also, uh, it was a big uh, trauma uh, for them since then, because at night they are always afraid that someone else will come and would kill them. But there is no any psychological help, no any... Uh, no, no any uh, people who goes there to help to speak about the subject. Uh, even in the schools, for example, uh, one mother uh, was killed on a night in 2008, and uh, her daughter was uh, slept next to her. Of, she's a 13 years orphan now. Of course, she was very much traumatized. In two weeks, she had to go to the school, and the teacher didn't even ask her how she was. They didn't talk at all about what happened uh, with her mother. So it's very, it was also a very big uh, aim of our outreach campaign to speak out about these things and to, in the communities where there are Roma and non-Roma people living together, they should have a dialogue about what happened. Um, this is great, yeah. Uh, the pl how, how to plan an outreach, it's very hard to generalize and summarize it in two minutes, but I try. Uh, the, what we have learned uh, during the film production, because the outreach was new for us, we didn't even know the word four years ago that out outreach exists. And when we went to the good pitch in Den Haag and we were uh, working with Breedog, we learned a lot that that's a very good uh, structure if you have a country like like Hungary that's a kind of closed regime and you have to you have to be very careful and, and you have to defend your rights as a filmmaker the best way to do it if you do an international base an international success that of course you cannot guarantee and you cannot say that okay I will do an international success but without that it's impossible to screen any kind of film in the local country in the problematic country so first, we didn't do any screening, any PR. We didn't talk to anyone in Hungary about the film. We, did a, we started the festival tour in 2013 in, here at Amsterdam at ITFA. And then we had like 10 festival screening some awards, very big international press and very good uh, PR reviews. And then we went to Hungary to do the f premiere in Budapest. And then we could start the outreach in Hungary. And then it is very safe because if we didn't, we didn't have any serious problem, but if you have a, uh, a sensitive subject, you have to be sure that the production and the outreach is safe. And that's a very good technique, having an international basis first. And then we had to involve a publicist in Hungary, which means uh, that we had a, a very simple uh, PR and communication strategy that first, when we had the premiere, before the premiere, we had a very long and detailed article with Esther in the, the most read uh, online press in Hungary. And it was not like uh, a political article or a political interview, just deeply uh, speaking about the neo-Nazi issue and the discrimination against Roma on a daily basis, not mentioning any political parties or any kind of political issues or daily politics, nothing like that. Just in general, what problems uh, a society has, as Hungary has, uh, with the neo-Nazis and the discrimination. And then all the next... Uh, reviews or articles that were about the, uh, the film 
uh, it was they, they couldn't do anything against the film because the article and the interview was released, and it was very deeply. She was talking very deeply about a very human problem, not about politics, and everyone could understand why it is a big problem, why why it is bad. It, it, it sounds very silly, I know, but in a, in, in a country like that, you have to explain it like for children that neo-Nazi movements are bad. <laughs> but, it's, but, but it's not that funny. Uh, I... <laughs> no, it's not funny at all. And sometimes for university students, you have to argue that uh, killing on racial basis, it's not normal. So it's, it was not an easy field in Hungary, and the outreach still goes on with educational licenses and other activities. Uh, our main tools was, for example, uh, involving Roma experts and Roma consultants. That was one of uh, the most important uh, things for us in the outreach because it's very usual to organize conferences to make uh, events uh, about Roma rights and Roma people are nearly never invited. And I really believe that it's a very big uh, problem. And for example, when uh, in Hungary I was invited with the film uh, to speak, I always insisted that I would accept the invitation only if there would be a Roma speaker. It sounds uh, quite uh, stupid, but I really felt that it was uh, necessary. Also, when we went to high schools, we always uh, took uh, Roma uh, experts with us. And it was just amazing that uh, in a country where nearly 10% of the population belongs to the Roma minority, uh, the students in the school never talked in their life to a Roma. So it was really amazing, this kind of uh, discussions between the students and the Roma experts, that the students were amazed that Roma people can talk. So it was, it was really uh, interesting. Um, we also had a lot of screening for courts, to judges, prosecutors. Um, they could face many issues from the documentary they have to work on. Uh, we also went uh, to screen the film for Roma communities. It was quite tricky because uh, obviously the Roma community um, is very much afraid of visibility. So we had to do, it was an advice from uh, breed dog, we never heard it, about it before, the possibility of hidden screenings, which is quite simple but very effective. So when, where the people were very much afraid of a public screening, we went to their houses and we uh, made, uh, we took uh, a projector and we organized the hidden screenings in their home. But there were several uh, public screenings also for Roma community where they invited the major of the mayor of the town and uh, some local social workers, and they could have an open discussion. Uh, we had a media campaign uh, where the most important as for us was that this uh, issue is always uh, always was mentioned in the media like uh, the so-called Roma problem, not as a neo-Nazi problem. And we always told in every interview that the problem is with the neo-Nazis and the problem is not with the Roma. So we had to tell it like every day 100 times to get it through. Uh, we work and were on an educational package with licenses to the schools where we made uh, strict rules how the film could be used uh, in the education. Uh, we also made several screenings for NGOs and Roma organizations with giving away licenses to use the film for lobbying, for legislative change. 
uh, and we participated and organized several conferences on the issue. Finally, we could reach uh, a very strong result that the Hungarian press, uh, the, the main ones, they started to criticize themselves. The journalists uh, were writing uh, very critically that uh, maybe the media is responsible for the serial killing, not directly, but indirectly, because if we are always talking about a minority such as Roma people on a very bad way, we are always criminalizing them, we are always discriminating them, and all the people are hearing the same bullshit that always, every day, maybe it can motivate uh, neo-Nazi people to kill them. And it was a very, very strong result. And, of course, when you start an outreach, you cannot plan it or you cannot... cannot uh, think on it that that you can you can reach it but and we didn't plan it at all but but somehow the press by themselves started to write about this issue that we are responsible for these serial killings as we are journalists and we have to write on a different way about uh, about trauma people we had cinema screenings for one year which is very exceptional in in a country like that the first half here was very strong because then we had uh, like screening on daily basis and then we had in the countryside uh, screenings i don't know by heart how many how many screenings but lot for one year and we had the dis we did the distribution by ourselves in hungary so we didn't have any any special distributor because it was very hard to to deal with any distribution distributor because of the sensitive subject we had a screening in the hungarian parliament for the uh, it was basically for the committee for the fundamental rights. We had screening dozens of schools in secondary schools, universities, uh, and one of the very strong results is that uh, a Roma expert who is in the film, who was the lawyer of the victims, family of the victims, he is teaching at the law university in Budapest, and he is the first Roma professor, which is very strange in 2015, that he is the first Roma man who is uh, working at the law university. We had uh, lots of screenings for police and and uh, legal law, law universities, and it is already in the in the education. And there are several NGOs who are using the the film for for fighting against uh, hate crimes and speaking about Roma rights. Amazing. Yeah, I'm just give a round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, some, some photos. Yeah, just yeah. quickly, we'll share some pictures. We want to be able to give everyone a chance to ask questions if you have. Okay, so then maybe we should just... Is that okay? I'll just maybe... No, no, this is very important because okay. it's a very special technique that was uh, suggested by Breedog that if you have any problem, you have to go to the site and do a hidden screening. And, it, and uh, the next one, it was a conference about hate crime in Budapest. Amazing. And this was the last award we, are, we were received from Martin Schultz. Amazing, thank you. Um, and we have a, s a short video. I don't know if you have time. I think we want to open for questions. Okay, 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 no problem. Do, do, do people have questions? Otherwise, I can, I'm happy to start. Anyone? Um, I'll st oh, there is one. Okay, great. Maybe you can say it loudly. There was a trying to hand you the
Can you say you've had an influence on the politics or the politicians or right, legislation in your country? Is that what you asked? Uh, it's not going so quickly because it's need uh, legislative change. But there are several uh, organizations, NGOs, who work for legislative change, and they use the film for that. So let's hope that in one, two years. Yes, but the former prime minister of Hungary, we had a dinner with him after two months after the premiere, and he's not the opposition. So yes, we had some effect. Minister dinner. <laughs> well, I have a question. Um, what what do you think that this meant to the Roma community, and was that expressed back to you? Um, uh, obviously, uh, they were really grateful for this film because uh, there was no any uh, film about this subject, and also it's very rare that uh, there is any artistic product or journalistic product which uh, stands up for uh, rights of Roma. But uh, it was very um, shocking for me the first time when uh, we showed the film for a Roma community. And uh, it was one of uh, our great friends who who delivered the film to this Roma community and he saw uh, it there also for the first time. He's uh, the most known Roma uh, human rights activist in Hungary. And after they saw the film, uh, our friend looked uh, at me like he would kill me. He was so angry. And uh, in one hour, he really changed. He told that first he he was so angry to the world because he faced the reality. And then he started to use the film uh, very intensively because he suggested that uh, all the Roma people should face reality. And um, the only way uh, to change things of the situation of the Roma people, if Roma people also stand up for their rights. And it's a very important tool, I think, the film for the Roma community to use it for uh, raising awareness of the outside society and and to join uh, forces to stand up for their own rights. Which, of course, uh, the support of the outside uh, society is necessary. Without that, it's not possible. Thank you. Any other questions? Oh, yeah. The question. I'm going to just repeat the question. How are you able to target uh, people in the judiciary to, to, and arrange these screenings? Um, at the courts, uh, obviously they couldn't resist to a film which had uh, such an international success and it was about the justice system because we don't really have films about uh, trials. So the people just couldn't resist to, to invite us. And we also approached them, of course. Um, in the Hungarian parliament, it's, it's still... Uh, I'm not sure why. Uh, they also contacted us, but they uh, invited us also. Um, I think, of course, there are in every um, everywhere there are some people who want to work for the for some positive change. So I think we found someone who connected, who had some connection to the subject, and then she had to organize a politician. 
Yes, but when we had when we had screenings uh, for lawyers or for judges, lots of time they were contacting us because it was such a hot topic that they they wanted to see it and it was going on in the cinemas, but they wanted to meet us. So it was for for that particular group of people it was very easy to screen it because it it was a, it's about the justice system and everyone was very nervous about the film, and they wanted to wanted to see us who are, who are these people who who did this film and why. So it was, it was that that part was very easy. More questions, quickly. We've got a couple. Paula. So you you did something that in America they do very easy, which is like putting the the um, the materials for the schools and the licenses for schools. How easy was it to do it in Eastern Europe, in the schools in Eastern Europe, and, and how did you manage? Did you manage to sell it? How did you work around educational licenses, which in Europe is like very difficult. Um, the licenses for the schools is still an ongoing process. We already gave away several, but we're still uh, working on, on it. And for example, we are, so we are still very careful. We, uh, during the last two years, we met several teachers from all around Hungary. We have a database of at least 100 teachers who were sympathetic with the cause of the project, and then we do it through them. A couple more questions. Just a comment. Um, I haven't seen the film, but I'm looking looking forward to watching it. Yeah. Uh, just wanted to salute you, really, for the strength of your analysis and the clarity of your analysis in, in what we saw on the slide, anyway, identifying what the, what the root problems were there for, um, for changing the situation for the Roma community, and clearly your outreach strategy has very smartly flowed from a really clear analysis and and just again to salute you on the restraint you showed in not going all guns blazing for Hungarian audiences and politicians to begin with that was a very clearly a very smart move can I ask you two a question last one really because we need to to move on to the next session you know this was the first project where you'd had such a involved outreach and engagement strategy I wonder if, what are maybe the three most important things that you've learned from this experience? If you were passing on, you know, your best ideas and your best clues and your best warnings, whatever they may be, to, you know, a new group of filmmakers who might be considering this work, what would that be? What would your advice be? Most important things you've learned? If you make a documentary in an authoritarian country about a sensitive subject, you have to be very quiet until uh, some international... Uh, success, but meanwhile you have to find uh, international partners who support you and who who you can talk with because uh, of course uh, the loneliness of this project is a very big problem for the filmmakers so uh, without uh, international friends and uh, uh, it would be very hard, most probably impossible to, to do it um, this is one thing uh, the other very important, I think, that if you make a subject about a human rights issue, you always have to involve uh, the group whose rights are violated. It's very, very important. It's not possible. To, it's not. Uh, it will lose the credibility if you don't uh, uh, work together with that group. The international basis is. is my, my uh, concern as well that you have to you have to have international production. The uh, the other thing is that the distribution we kept it in our hands and 
during this uh, production and distribution, it was very helpful, but it was lots of work because we had to do the same work that uh, what all the uh, agencies does. Uh, agencies do, and this is very, very difficult. But if you want to have a serious outreach, you have you, you have to keep all the decisions in your hands because otherwise you, you will have a conflict with the distributor. But we had meetings with with the biggest ones in here at Itfu and on other festivals, and maybe it sounds very impolite, but but they didn't convince us that it is good for us to contract with them. And uh, I know that lots of Film productions want to have a distributor because they think it's safe. But if you have an outreach, I, I, I would choose that, that we do everything or the distribution. Amazing. Can we have another round of applause for this fantastic team? So, um, I, God, there's a lot to take home from that extraordinary kind of body of work, which is ongoing. It's not even done. I mean, this is like, you know, five years in and you're still going, which is absolutely fantastic. And I, I want to, you know, I take home from that, that, that point that it, when you're working on these films, often alone and sometimes under very difficult conditions, it can feel, you know, gargantuan and it can feel very lonely. And I think the most important thing to say is, is that you're not alone. There is now an extraordinary networked, connective, supportive community of fellow filmmakers who are embarking on these kinds of projects with this level of sophistication and nuance um, and there are also a community and a network of organizations, of funders, of partners who are totally... We get it, and we're here to support you and work with you. So you are not alone. And we, we celebrate. The more d difficult the challenge, the more impossible the adversary, we welcome it. What's so cool about people working with people like Bertha is they're utterly fearless. They're crazy. You know, there is no corporation too big, no government too despotic that they weren't, they're not prepared to take on. Like, we come to them and I go, Bex, there's a really great film. You know, and she'll go, awesome, let's do it, let's go. You know, so know that there are people who are ready to be at your side, to be fearless and passionate advocates who believe in your work and these kind of profound causes and issues, which, frankly, unless we step into the space, well, you know, we have this magic, 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 powerful weapon above and beyond all the work that the foundations and NGOs and government agencies do tirelessly to address an issue like this, we have a beautiful film. And the power of that film to unlock doors, you know, to capture imaginations and to have a transformative experience, both culturally but also, you know, at a political and social level. And I hope that really gives you a sense of, of what's possible. I mean, Bita, I just want to add one thing also. Um, Sandor and Esther didn't mention this, but also uh, safety and security, and not just for the people in your film, but also for them as filmmakers. Um, I know that's something that was definitely relevant to this project and probably many, many other projects you might be working on. And so you might want to check in with them about how they manage that as well. I've got some homework for everyone. Don't imagine this is one-way traffic. So um, over the last year, the organizations and the individuals, the impact producers and filmmakers who've been working in this field over the last 10 years have pooled all their knowledge and their learning and their understanding and case studies into one place. It is called the Impact Field Guide, and you can find it at impactguide.org. And it is... It's massive. We just turned the whole site into a 300-page PDF. You can download it. You can use this as an interactive guide, going through all the different stages about how to plan, to create a team, to budget, to actually, you know, 
effect a cogent impact strategy. This is the downloadable PDF. There's also a printable it, version in black and white. It's being translated, right? Yeah. But, so it's in English here, but it's being translated into, I think, several languages. So this is a resource where we have skipped through a whole bunch of incredibly big and important issues, but everything we speak about is actually sitting in here. And this is, as I say, not just what Bex and I have been thinking about, but literally the sum total of the knowledge and wisdom of many organizations, colleagues, impact producers, filmmakers from around the world. What's in here is a whole bunch of case studies, including the Granito case study and many, many, many others that you can look at and analyze. What did they do? How did they do it? I just want to give you a small insight into the way when Bex and I, you know, when someone, a filmmaker comes to us and says, yeah, I've got this movie, I'm wondering... You know, what is, you know, could I do? What is the potential outreach and engagement strategy with? I wanted to give you a little inkling of some of the processes we go through because it's not random and it's not on the back of an envelope anymore. People have done deep work thinking about strategy and analysis. So I just wanted to give you a little uh, snapshot of that. Um, looking into one of the questions um, we often ask. One of the first questions is, what kind of change are we talking about? Is it top-down change? So, first of all, what are the big themes of the film? What's the kind of change that's possible? And we think about these things, but we've analysed as the four impact dynamics. Oh, can you read that? Not very well. Not very well. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, make it a little bit bigger. Just for simplicity, we break down the potential change effects of a film into four broad categories. The first of which is the ability of a film to change minds. You know, changing mass awareness and understanding, creating a shift in public attitudes. And so we ask the filmmaker, okay, if you think your film can do that, what are the attitudes and beliefs you are trying to create or change? We look at... Changing behaviors. So uh, actually making people do something different, not just think differently. And that could be like buying something, you know, whether it's about buying or boycotting, donating or volunteering. You know, could your film explicitly trigger an urge, an instinct in people to behave in a different way? Uh, building communities. So providing a, a focal point around which people come together, um, getting people all activated around an issue. And that could be around, you know, offering your film up as a tool to, you know, to organizers, to campaigners, to existing experts in the field who need, who need a new resource to activate their campaigns. And then the final one is around changing structures, which is really looking, whether it's in business or politics, how, can our film, does this film have the potential to directly influence law or policy at some level? And what are the mechanisms to do that? So we do a whole complex sort of set of analysis about the the natural issues that arise organically out of the film, and then analyzing what role could this film play. You know, we map the whole field and we say, given this is the environment, given these are the conditions, you know, in this case in, in Hungary, what are the political, social, economic conditions? What are the big issues coming out of this film? And therefore, what is the opportunity to create change? Who are the most important people this film needs to be seen by? And you could see that the analysis these guys did, yes, absolutely empowering Roma community, getting that film to Roma, but also this highly strategic top-down change, which was about identifying key people within the legal system, the political system, even leading media figures to change the narrative, to create a kind of a narrative shift within the Hungarian system. And if you're looking to do this, um, I think the earlier, the earlier you address these questions uh, in the process of making your film, the, the easier it will be for you later on, because in many cases it will affect 
maybe the way you're making the film, if you know who your audience, you know, part of your intended audience is, um, we find that the earlier you start engaging with these questions, the better it is. So there's a lot of homework in there. But it's a beautiful, rich um, repository of ideas and process and strategy. And I guess I want to flag these ideas don't just come quickly and easily. It requires real depth and analysis of the environment into which your film is arriving. And that's really, really critical. Should we go look at the next movie? I want to um, introduce the ever-amazing Anita Kana to come up. She is joining us from South Africa, where she has been working tirelessly over, I guess, the past 18 months on a film, um, the outreach on a film called Minor Shutdown. So I think we'll start, do you want to start with a clip or? I just, yeah, play the trailer. I just need to ask a couple of things. First of all, the South Africans in the audience, can you put your hands up? I might be drawing on some of your knowledge and experience as I'm talking. And secondly, am I allowed to swear? Yeah. Okay, cool. No one's going to be upset. You know, you can't always predict when when you're going to swear. Cool. Why the use of police force after the teeth against miners who were not occupying mining property or territory, were not occupying any strategic point, were not blocking the national highway or any minor road. I said, all this is in God's hands. I'm a mortal man, those are my words. I'm a mortal man. still remember vividly the face of those workers. Let us take note of the fact that uh, whatever happened represents the best of responsible policy. start by saying that um, Rihard Desai, my partner, directed the film and I'm one of the producers on the film and the the writer um, and we're still quite traumatised by what happened. The Marikana massacre was the worst, most shocking thing 
that had happened within 20 years of 18 years at the time of democracy in South Africa. And the fact that this was happening under the ANC government um, that is so respected, the most respected liberation movement in the world, um, was incredibly shocking. I don't know if people know the details. I'll just quickly give you some background, and then I'm going to talk about our strategy, and then I'm going to talk about what happened. Okay, I'm trying to be quick because I think it would be good to get your feedback. Um, in August 2012, I mean, just put your hands up, please, if you know anything about the Marikana massacre or if you've heard of it. Okay, and, and, and if you've seen the film, not, okay, a few people have seen the film, mostly South Africans. <laughs> good. Um, <clears throat> basically, in August 2012, a group of mine workers from a platinum mine along the, the, the platinum belt took unprotected strike action in defiance of their union, the National Union of Mine Workers. And the reason they took this great risk, actually, 3,000 of them walking out, was because they were so sick and tired of the low wages that they were living under, that trying to survive on. And they were also very, very tired of the fact that their trade union just wasn't representing them and was asking them to accept these crappy wages. And the trade union, the National Union of Mine Workers, was the biggest trade union in alliance with the, the ANC at the time. So you can imagine that this trade union is in bed with, with government and it's certainly also in bed with the mining company. And it feels like the trade union is actually collaborating to keep your wages low. So they had several big, major forces that they were up against. But, you know, the fact that they walked out meant that they just couldn't stomach this any longer. And on the sixth day of the strike, the police used live ammunition and, and opened fire killed 34 of the mine workers. I mean, this was only three years ago, 2012. It feels like something that happened under apartheid. It feels like something that we would never see again. They killed 34. They injured, in some cases very seriously, 78. And 270 of the strikers, whether they were injured or not, because some of them, this happened in the hospital beds, were arrested. And then they were charged for the murder of their colleagues under an apartheid law, which is um, it's a, a, a system of the law called common purpose, which the state under apartheid used to use to basically just criminalise whole groups of people that were there when something happened. So you can imagine, I mean, as filmmakers, what we were doing at the time, we'd been involved in the environmental justice um, organisations, campaigns, movement... And we were making a film about mining. Uh, we'd found our story. And we were actually in the Northwest filming when the strike broke out. And we went and shot a few days before the massacre. We were not there when the massacre took place because basically it was quite difficult to get into the region. People were being told to get out. It was obvious that something big was going to happen. But we did shoot the build-up, the huge police presence. I want to fast-forward a little bit because... Um, on the night, when the massacre happened, I think there was a minority of people in South Africa like us that felt not just... I mean, everybody was shocked, 
Okay? Everybody was like, oh my God, this is terrible. But there was a minority of people that felt that there was something extremely fishy and dodgy going on. Because the official narrative, within hours of the massacre taking place, there were people like government ministers, trade union leaders, etc., etc., police, you know, commissioner of police, getting on television and putting across the official story, which remained for a very long time. And the official story was these mine workers were dangerous, they were armed, they were running towards the police and the police had no option but to kill them in self-defence. Well, see, at this stage, we didn't have any evidence to the contrary, but we instinctively knew that there was something wrong, and we set up that night a Facebook group called Justice Now for Marikana, and this became quite significant in the future social media campaign that, that goes alongside the film, because we noticed that this, this piece of social media, you know, this platform became like a juncture box for all the people who were feeling like us, that there was something more to this. And it became a place where we could, we could post the things that we were learning. We could post the stories and the development. Um, the Marikana support campaign was formed soon after, a few weeks later. Uh, we filled a hall. We were sitting at the centre of it, but we got together with a load of social justice partners with some legal NGOs that had now taken on representation of the families of the 34 who died and the 270 mine workers. And we formed the Marikana support campaign. And what's important about this is, I think, and it's unique, and it's going to be really difficult for, you know, this is not what you generally do in your campaigns, but because we were already activists on the ground uh, and we'd done other things where we'd formed strong partnerships and we kind of knew who was who, we were able to draw on those relationships very much once the film was out and we wanted to get it out there. I want to just fast forward because I could really go on for hours. So, um, I think that, you know, what we knew, we, we, what was coming out... Uh, were pieces of research. There was a journalist that did an amazing piece of research. There was the stuff that we were doing while we were making the film. The massacre happened in 2012. The film came out in March 2014. So there was this long period where we're shooting, we're inside the commission of inquiry where the police were telling lots of lies. We were shooting there. Um, we were befriending the mine workers... <coughs> And we were very friendly with the legal NGOs because they were part of the campaign. The mine workers who survived were also part of the campaign. So we were all talking to each other. And we were building up a picture of a very different story. Actually, the truth. The truth of what happened. And it's quite horrendous. And it comes out in the film. Um, and to cut a long story short, the miners were ambushed. They were, they were on their way home. They were ambushed by the police. And they were... They were um, massacred in two groups, a group of 17 that you see on that footage running towards the, the cops. And the reason they're running towards the cops is because they're being fired at from behind. So all the Al Jazeera cameras and everyone, they're, 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 they're capturing this group of people running so it looks like the police are being attacked, which makes me think that it was very planned. But there was another group of 17 mine workers on another hill who ran that way, and they were basically executed. And you can tell because a lot of them were shot in the back of the head. They've got holes in their hands where they were trying to surrender. And um, there's quite a few photographs of people that were shot while their hands were tied, um, lying on the ground. I mean, this is under a democratic South Africa. As filmmakers, we had to do something. Our primary goal 
for our film impact campaign was to change public opinion, was to expose the police cover-up and to change minds would have been... like uh, I've thought about... We had lots of goals, but if you think about the big one that we really needed... If we were going to help the lawyers in the commission of inquiry, we had to shift public opinion. Public opinion was still believing the official narrative. And it goes like this. Oh, it's such a tragedy, isn't it? It's terrible that they got killed. But they were violent. They were attacking the police. What could the police do? See, once we started doing screenings, I'm moving forward now, we would always begin a screening by saying to people, what do you know about the Marikana massacre? And that, invariably, that would be what they would say. Then we'd show the film, and everybody would be very quiet afterwards and shot. Liani knows, because you know the film. Because, you see... People had had, over, before the film came out, people had little bits of information about what happened that was shocking in its own right. But the film does two things. It brings it all together. So it really sort of takes you through the whole process um, of how this collusion took place, you know, what the motivations were for government ministers, the police, and the London mine to get together and, and actually collude to violently suppress a strike. And it's actually, you know, what comes out of the film is, is very shocking that that would happen. But secondly, you get connected to the characters when you watch the film. And uh, one of the things that we, when we started to devise our, our, our audience engagement campaign, what became really, really important for us... Shall I go? Yeah, yeah, yeah I could you? Side? Sorry, yeah. I was kind of like hoping... Yeah, look, just be random. Like, just go through them and just move when you get I'm bored. And, sorry, I, I didn't do anything <laughs> particularly planned. I just whacked some images up. Sorry about in my hotel room last night. That's the uh, one of the scenes from the massacre. Um, could somebody remind me where I was? Oh yeah. So one of the things that became really, really important for us was to to have enough money, really, because at the end of the day, it costs money to do a really good outreach campaign. To take the film around South Africa and speak to as many people as possible to show the film and actually um, try to build the campaign. And one of the ways that we would do this, we, we, we took characters from the film. Um, th th this, is, this is one of the Bertha screenings. Um, we, we premiered in March 2014 at One World um, and a couple of other festivals took place that month and we won two awards. Um, we began to see that, you know, we, we, we had quite a powerful film that was hitting people, not just in South Africa. It was meaning something to people in other parts of the world as well. Um, that's e uh, Equal Education, the youth organisation, became a really, really strong partner. And these are some young ambassadors that watched the film and then said that they would get it into schools for us. I'm going to actually start... Oh, yes, yeah, so this one's important because there's Umzukolo Magadawana. He's one of the mine workers who was at Marikana. He's in the film. He's become a great friend. Um, he was shot nine times. He still has a bullet in his groin and finds it very difficult to walk. And he's also... He finds it, he, he's got all kinds of gut problems now where he, he, he can't eat very well and, you know, huge health problems. Um, it's quite disgusting how the mine treated him because they basically, you know, he had basic medical care and then after that it was take paracetamol and actually you're fit to work again. Um, 
his union stepped in. He came with us on a lot of our outreach screenings, including our um, international screenings. And he spoke to audiences, and he became the campaign's secret weapon. Um, he started off very, very shy, and it was quite difficult. It, he was really nervous about speaking to, like, audiences of academics, for example, of white people, you know. And, and w- within a few weeks of doing this, he just became absolutely amazing, really confident, speaking from the heart, you know, telling the truth about what happened. And a lot of people were meeting a mine worker for the first time. And this was really powerful in, in the way it was challenging the official narrative. Because you could see that, that from, from when he tells his story, you know, you've seen the film and then you speak to him and it starts to become even deeper. The tragedy, the, the, tragedy is the wrong word, actually, the cruelty of what's happened. So that was significant. Am I going on and on? And can I just, should I, can I give some figures? Yeah, a few. And then we're going to open it up to questions. Okay. Um, so maybe, maybe just two more minutes. Two more minutes. Ah. That's okay. Um, okay, I'm going to miss a couple of uh, things I was going to say. And just, can I just talk about the impacts yeah, quickly? Yeah, please. Okay. I think the impacts are what we really want to hear about, actually. <laughs> Like, what did the film do? So if we go back to... You, you, you measure your impacts based on what your goals are. So our goal was to shift public opinion uh, and to, to have, a, like, a, a big conversation around the country about the collusion, about what had actually happened, in order to get justice, OK? Because what's at stake is 270 people that have been charged with murder, 34 families that now don't have a breadwinner and have had no compensation... And, um, you know, I had a list of of what's at stake, but I've forgotten what it is. So in terms of the impact, before we released the film, we were approached by South Africa's biggest trade union, the the National Union of Metal Workers. And Irvin Jim, the general secretary, literally got on his knees and he begged me to allow the film to be shown at their conference where they were going to take a vote on whether to continue to remain in an alliance with the ANC government. And they showed the film on the first day of the conference, and the conference was aimed at 2,000 shop stewards who were representing you know, big groups of workers. There's 300, at the time, there were 360,000 people in this trade union. Sure enough, they voted to leave the ANC. They also passed a resolution in support of the justice campaign, and they raised a load of money for the widows, and they asked us to organise one of the widows come to come to the conference and to speak which was very, very powerful because 2,000 people started singing No Woman, No Cry to her um, because I think they'd been moved by the film and now they're meeting a, one of the widows and it was just an incredible moment. Um, how do you know you've made impact? The press, the stories that were coming through in the press were now not talking about the tragedy uh, and the police self-defence they were actually talking about the things that we'd exposed in the film. So that was, for me, a really clear indication that we were moving things. Um, The second anniversary, the first anniversary of the massacre in 2013, not much happened. The film hadn't been released. The second anniversary of the massacre, there were more than 25 protests and events in South Africa and around the world. Um, all going through the campaign website, etc. On the third anniversary, there were more than 33 screenings alone of the film on one day under this thing called Remember Marikana, and lots and lots of co- 
um, conversations. After the release of the film, in Parliament, opposition MPs, for the first time in 2014, like, you know, two years after it's happened, start to talk about Marikana and start to ask the government when they're going to do something about justice, almost verbatim using lines from the film in their questions. Um, and I was going to talk to you about the fact that it's not on South African TV. You might want to raise that issue. I was also going to talk about our social media campaign. You might want to question me about that. And, and uh, where we are now, because we have, I think, lost control of the distribution of the film because it's been watched so much and I, I've got no way of knowing who's watching it and who's doing what, which I think is actually success. <laughs> I, I just also want to just two anecdotes because we've been very honoured to be a part of this. So I was at the screening, the premiere screening in South Africa where there were literally uh, people were bussed in for free from the townships to come in and, and watch the film and there were literally chanting and dancing in the aisles of the cinema. I know also the film has been used to raise lots of money um, for the families and for their justice campaign and and, you, for, the and for the living wage. Yeah, and Yeah, they raised a million rand. Also, the, those, the criminal charges have been dropped, correct? Yes. Criminal yes. charges have been dropped. They are nominated for an Emmy. They're going to find out Tomorrow, on Monday, on Monday, Monday is tomorrow. Monday, yeah. So they're headed off. You're headed, I think, back to back to, to New York. York. We had to go into New York. Um, so amazing stuff. Obviously, we can't capture it all right here. Um, but I wanted to open it up to questions um, because this is an, a great opportunity with Anita here, um, and then hopefully you can find her afterwards uh, if you have anything else. Anyone? Oh yeah. Why? Yeah, why? I, was, I, I did kind of lead you into that. Um, political interference, because the, because the collusion points to um, government ministers, particularly the deputy minister, not saying, okay, he told the police to go and kill the mine workers, but he certainly didn't negotiate, and he certainly asked for much heavier police presence. I mean, before the massacre, they brought in four mortuary vans. They brought in a, a whole, you know, 480 rounds of live ammunition. They, they knew that there was going to be a massacre that day. And um, we like audiences to watch the film and make up their own mind. But it's very difficult not to make up the conclusion that they needed to suppress this strike because they didn't want it to spread across the platinum mines. Platinum is a huge source of foreign revenue for South Africa. They can't afford the mine workers to be up in arms. But by massacring them, they've actually caused more damage than if they'd negotiated. Yeah, we were already making a film about mining and then we had a very difficult discussion about do we carry on with our story or do we now change, do we speak to the people <laughs> who are giving us grants to make this film, uh, I think at the time it was just films, Ford Foundation, and do, do we move to the biggest story in South African history and South African mining, which was the massacre we had the film in mind from the start. In fact, we knew it was going to be quite a long time before we released the film, so we did lots of releasing footage in the meantime, and it really worked for us. Um, you know, we, were, we used the social media campaign and various platforms and our partners, our non-profit partners, etc., to put out clips of important things that were happening, like a cross-examination in the commission where something big was revealed. We would put that out. The women in Marikana had a march. We put that out, you know, that kind of thing. 
We also did something else. We released, we had this conflict of interest because we had this footage that nobody had that, that wasn't handed over to the Commission of Inquiry. It was from Al Jazeera and it was meant to be kept under wraps. And we were going to reveal in the film that we had real-time footage that proved that the miners were ambushed and that they weren't about to attack the police. And we made the decision to release it to the press um, and to the commission at the same time. We, we held a press conference. We did that thing that only filmmakers can do, which was we, you know, we blew up the significant things, we slowed it down, we had it HD so you could see everything. And it was absolutely, completely indisputable that, that they were on their way home and they were pushed towards the line of fire. This was then used in the commission and it completely discredited the police. Things began to change from this point onwards. Rihard was interviewed on Sky News. It was, you know, the press went crazy. I was going to say a really interesting model here also was one of the, the partnership models besides NGOs were also legal legal groups. Yeah. Um, so they were very strategic in who they partner with. There's something Bertha really loves to support, sort of the combination of the storyteller and the, and the lawyer, um, really helping to also articulate the, the legal complexities, right, of, of That's what right, happened. Because the lawyers know all the dirt, but they are in a position where they have to be very careful about what they say in public. So we were like their, you know, attack dogs in yeah. a way. <laughs> I used to do these screenings with the lawyers where I'd say, I'm not a lawyer, I can say it the way I can, you know, I can get emotional about it. I do want to emphasise the fact that Riyadh and I were completely traumatised for at least two years. I mean, we, the first time we showed the film, we couldn't speak in the Q&A because both of us couldn't stop crying. I mean, that's how, how difficult it was. One of the things that I reflect when I listen to your, your story, and thank you for sharing that. It's beautiful to hear it from you too because I've kind of been capturing pieces, you know, across social and various reports, but it's wonderful to hear it from you and you know the, con the longer story and the kind of background and context and what's interesting and perhaps different to Esther and Sandal sorry you're now behind the funny white thing um, and this is a really interesting reflection for the room is that sometimes when we talk about what kind we ask the question what kind of a filmmaker are you and we often draw an axis yeah. and we put on one end activist and we put on the other end you know pure artistic filmmaker and what's really interesting is where people feel they are on this spectrum. And, you know, I'd say you, you guys fall more on this, you know, on films this kind of films for social change, explicitly so, and that you are explicitly involved with and part of movements, you know, and, and have, this, is your, this is a life's work. And, 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 and that, that doesn't mean that the films that you make are any less journalistically rigorous, but in terms of your internal, explicit internal kind of motivation and the things that matter to you in your life and your values, you're more on that end of the spectrum rather than some of the other filmmakers that we work with who maybe have come upon a subject, you know, and it's profoundly, you know, moved them over a period, but then they'll probably move on, you know, to something quite yeah. different. And that is an interesting yeah. to think about, to reflect where you are on that continuum and that there isn't a right or wrong place, by the way. We've worked with no. film teams who sit at any point on the spectrum, but because of the film they ended up falling into, they find themselves you know, utterly moved to go beyond just getting it on telly or in the cinema for a week. They find themselves utterly compelled to carry on and do the kind of thoughtful work which is about 
you know, you, you, were trying, you are, you have made a frame change, a cultural shift mm. within South Africa around one of the most egregious acts of violence in the last few years. And, you know, and many other things aside, but it's completely fascinating. And I, and I'm, and I bet you you'll be doing this work with this film for many years yeah, to come. Yeah, I think so. I, do, I just want to say something you both said earlier on. I, I do think that although we're activists, um, it's really important to make a beautiful, well-told story that stands on its own um, because I don't think we would have got anywhere near as far as we have if we didn't have such an amazing team making the film here here any one one or two final questions You mentioned the money you needed all, all those years to, to make the work in both cases. So where did the money come from? Um, I did have a list. Uh, to make the film itself, um, I think that's quite an interesting question because in both our cases we're making films that, um, that are critical of, of the state in some way or another. So we were pretty blocked from the domestic film funds. Uh, we got a little bit of money for archive for Miner's Shutdown, but since we've made Miner's Shutdown, we're now got, not getting funded domestically for our next film, because they're pretty pissed off with us. Uh, <laughs> um, so we got, film, we, we got money from Bertha Foundation, Bertha Connect Fund, Bid for Bertha Connect, um, Brit. Bertha Connect Fund, Ford Foundation, Just Films. Um, for the outreach campaign... We had quite a lot of partners, including, um, once again, Bertha, Ford Foundation, Action Aid, Open Society Foundation. One of my slides had a load of logos on that were the, the outreach partners. Um, and these were, these were people that really saw that the film would help them with their work, with the things that they wanted to do. So it's an interesting combination of both film funding, film funders, yeah. so people who run media funds, but also other kinds of non-traditional funders. Exactly. And that's what I was alluding to at the beginning when I'm talking about the new opportunities that have actually opened up in this space for filmmakers who, who are potentially making a film, you know, a social justice film. We've got all the usual suspects and we know the difficulties and complications with that, but actually we've got a whole other plethora of other opportunities, and that's kind of interesting. Do you want to talk a little bit about your funding? Yeah, we, have, we had the same kind of uh, structure, the minor shutdown that uh, we didn't have domestic uh, funds like the normal ones, but we had two anonymous donors. Small, they, gave, they gave small amounts, but they, they are very well-known Hungarian companies, but it's in the contract that we cannot tell their names because of the sensitive subject. But in general, the same Bertha Bridog, Open Society Foundations, and lots of broadcasters who, who were involved in the film, and Bertha Bridog as well as in the outreach as well. But in general, we are in the same situation, so it's, it's exactly the same model. Esther, can I invite you to come? Will you both take a seat? We're now going to do a little bit of a brainstorm mm -hmm. on a film. Are the filmmakers from The Letter here? Are they here? Yeah, in the front. Come and join us. So we thought, just to kind of, you know, we're going to have a little live brainstorm on a project. Um, full disclosure, my colleague Nicole has had checked it out a little bit. She had some basic information about the project. She had a look at the trailer, which we're going to share with you. And she began thinking, just doing a little bit of analysis. Nicole, you come up too. I just wanted to kind of live demo 
what this process is that we go through when we work on a movie. So, and we're going to deploy all of these brilliant brains, because as well as you, these guys are going to have, I bet, some ideas and suggestions for this film team. So this is the theory part of it. When we look at a, a film, a potential film, um, a film which has potentially got you know, some social justice themes in it, we start to ask the following questions. Clearly, you've got to know what the big themes of the film are. And in a minute, we're going to take... You know, we're going to have the filmmakers describe very briefly what the, the project's about. And you're in pr- uh, production, mid-production right now. Okay, So it's a good point to be having this kind of analysis. So we're going to talk about what the themes of the film are. We're going to take a look at the trailer. We're going to start to brainstorm what are the, what are the impact goals that we can imagine with a project like this. All right? We're going to think about beyond the general audience, the global audience, who is the strategic audience for this film? And, you know, who are the gatekeepers? Who are the key agents that can access that strategic audience? We're also going to come back to that question of what is the impact dynamic. So explicitly, could this project enable a frame change, you know, in attitudes? Or is it actually about making, is there the potential maybe to make a a political or strategic change at a political or legal level? And then from that is going to come some ideas, maybe first ideas for the impact task. So actually, if that's the idea then how can we imagine it? How can we imagine realising it? So we have got an amazing panel, I hope you'll agree, of brilliant strategic minds, plus all of you, and by the way, you know, start coming up with thoughts. But I'm going to actually let Nicole take it away because she's actually done some, a little bit of thinking. Yeah, and we'll, should we look at the trailer? Do you want to set up the movie first? Like, give us an elevator pitch for the film. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Sorry, um... Hopefully you're not sick of us after yesterday. Um, but in, in short, we've been spending the last two years um, filming along the coast of Kenya where there's a growing problem, uh, an intergenerational issue between uh, young people and the elderly people of the area. Um, more than 20 elderly people. Uh, it's estimated, but it's very murky, the, the actual data that exists. More than 20 elderly people are killed every month. Um, over issues of land and uh, inheritance. And these are issues happening within families. And I guess, um, listening to what you say, we, we, we feel um, a little bit lost. It's been the two of us making this film um, by ourselves. Um, and the, the issue seems so huge, and we feel kind of overwhelmed um, in uh, just having to feel like the, the, the difficulty in pointing out that it's wrong to kill your grandparents and, 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 and that's become a very normal thing um, in, the, in the region and, uh, and, and we're, we're kind of lost to even think of how we start, even begin to explain that. Perfect. This is perfect. <laughs> um, Sandal, do you want to press play? Should we look at the teaser? So look, here's your instructions, everybody. You're gonna, you know you've heard this, all right? So let's... Be- let, um, and let's, let's pause for one second. Sorry, so just as you watch this, okay, reflect on this, reflect on what the filmmakers just said. Social challenge. This is a, a you know the midway through production. Hopefully, an incredibly beautiful way to access some of these issues. But the question is, what can they do next? So watch this trailer with that in mind. Okay, let's go. Unamjua aliandika barua na mwambie msijui. 
Tupate hiyo barua tukua juu ya meza sana. Inasemaje? Uishu kijua wa kukututisha na nyumba sisi familia. Hivi tumekupatia siku mbili utubu dhambi zako uchawi wako unazozifanya na majirani wako Jogarizo gano maisandizo garizo nerovino macherovivia nerovino Naweza pata watu ni innocent mtu si mchawi kama nyenye nguvu nasikia rumors zinaambua ni mchawi Unaona na ni rumors zimespread tu mtaani Unaona na mimi na evidence na mimi kulingana na relationship yangu na yake yeye ni mtu poa kwangu hajaeni onyesha kitu kama hizo lazima kuwe na mwelekeo hawa elders hivyo ningependa wasanii tupige pamoja kama tunaweza organize kitu labda tu tunafanya kulingana na hii mambo ya uchawi mila ni nini Tamaduni ni nini? Sasa kuna wale watu ambao wamepiga vita katika utamaduni kabisa. Wanafikiria mtu akivaa tamaduni mchangu. Naona ile kitu ambao wanakosea. Wase, wawashirikishe vijana kwa sababu vijana wengi kuna gap. Kuna gap between uh, the old giriama na the young giriama kwa sababu the young wana believe kuwa the old old baba zao ni wachawi. Hiyo ni truth na tusifi chane. Inachafua vijana roho inafanya. Huyu ah, si akupe aishe huyu. Unaona yani mimi eh? Niendeleze mambo yangu yani unaona. Juendo anarudisha anamrudisha yote kijana nyuma. You are given a letter so unapewa hiyo na unaonyesha utakatwa na nini? You are not attacked to be harmed. You are attacked to be killed. Wewe watoto naka kama mchawi. This feeling of elders are in house. Are in house. uchawi wako pamoja na wengine ni wachama kazi zenu si za kubadilisha tutakuonyesha na wenzako mawinguni Um, yeah, so basically witchcraft is being used as an excuse to kill the elders, right? That's kind of the main theme. So I've done a little bit of thinking, you know. Um, oh, you got a comment yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, I think it's very strong and... I'm sure it will be a very good film, but watching the trailer, I will change the music because it's, it, it puts it on an entertainment level. Like it's a entertaining music and you should do it more dramatically because it's it's horrible and when i'm hearing this music
it's, it's getting very light. Just as a first. I think <laughs> two or three things. Um, number one is is obviously this is, this is now from the you're talking about from the um, the outreach perspective, right? No, or you just no, in, just in general, no, just no, the two no, things. This is a this is a really important note that you cannot force um, you cannot make a film a tool for outreach engagement if the issues, if the themes don't sit naturally within the film. It's often a mistake people make. You know, they say, I've made a film about X and we're going to campaign with it on Y. And you go, but that's not actually in your film. So that's why I'm saying what, what beautifully comes out of your film, utterly organically, what rises to the surface, the big, the big ideas in it. Um, well, following like, the killing of, of what's happening to the elderly people, mm. um, I think also like the idea of the letter um, and having that as... As, um, I don't know if I'm answering the question correctly, yeah. but having having that as a character because it's also quite interesting to see that this is, I mean, now in this day and age we don't really write letters to each other anymore, and to be able to see that these young people are just um, writing these letters and placing them in the houses of these old people. Um, and is it, is, it, is it a growing? Sorry, I'm just asking a bunch yeah. of questions. So I've written down here, your film is highlighting the abuse the murder of elders, mm -hmm. you know, a vulnerable population. Are you seeing an increasing division between young and old? Is that, yeah. is, and is that something that's growing or has always been? Um, I'd say now with, with the dot-com generation and, you know, the, the, the new ways that the young people want to um, kind of, you know, be technologically like on their phones or, um, or yeah, with the, with, the, with the change of... of Culture. Of, yeah, of accumulating wealth and mm. wanting to have more materialistic things. So we've got um, this growing division, the separation between the young and old. Yeah. We've got the actual leading to, arguably, or the abuse yeah. and murder of our elders. And I'm interested about the, which, what's the role of witchcraft. And also the link to land. Yeah, the link to land, exactly. That's really key. Um, the role of witchcraft um, is something which, obviously, in a lot of African um, a lot of countries in the world, I suppose, is the, the, the strong spiritual and um, element of witchcraft. And that's what is one of the biggest problems, is because as soon as you say witchcraft, um, no one really wants to touch this problem. The government don't want to touch it, the police don't want to touch it, because, because as, soon as, you, as soon as I say that I'm working with you, Bidi, then that means that you also are a witch because you're helping me with my problem, if I'm a witch. Mm. Does that make sense? Um, so witchcraft is a fantastic excuse. It's a device, a means yeah. for society and government to ignore the problem. Yeah. yeah? yeah. Interesting. Um, and then, of course, the big one is land. Do you want to explain more about the land? Uh, land is a bit of a touchy subject in, uh, in Kenya. Um, there's, I guess there's been a long history beginning um, with the colonial period when, of course, huge populations of people were pushed out of their ancestral homes and a lot of those um, problems weren't or have, have, have been failed to be addressed post-independence. Um, and so I guess, yeah, the, the story of land has been uh, the story of post-independent Kenya in, in a way and something that's, that's very 
but very hard to address. And is it passed down by, to families? It so is. So if you murder the grandparents, then the land gets exactly inherited. gets okay. inherited. So and, we've got, and sold. folks. I hope you'll agree. This is a juicy basket of issues here, right? Coming naturally out of this story, we've got a kind of growing division in in Kenyan society. A kind of growing division between young and old, arguably accelerated by you know technology and acceleration. We've we've got an increase in the abuse and the murder of elders. We have witchcraft being identified as a sort of a, de a device, a technique to facilitate that, which is interesting because it provides cover in, many, in both traditional society and in a legal perspective. And we've got a question here of land rights. So those are the kind of themes that at this stage of your film, and I know you're only part, it's not a finished deal, so also these things, you know, these things also emerge as the cut emerges. But let's identify those right now as the kind of basket of big issues that come out of this film. Can, can I maybe add uh, some, some of the legal aspects? And um, in, in Kenya, the, the, the judiciary currently has 600,000 pending cases. Um, and they're currently trying to... Um, I guess move a lot of cases out of the court and especially ones to do with family disputes. They're trying to um, free up the courts by having family disputes be mediated by uh, traditional elder councils. Um, so there's also a, kind of these cases fall into this gap where the courts are trying to move these cases out of the courts and the elders of course don't have the authority because they're not respected as much as they used to be. Um, so there's also big legal issues that we're grappling with. Can I just ask mm. a question? Um, to you, please, to both of you. Um, is, is this happening rural and urban, or is it a rural story? Rural. It's rural and, and poorer people? Yeah. Is it? Because I think that there's something that came through very strongly for me about it being about fear mm. and um, sort of desperation. And gen I don't think you can dismiss this witchcraft thing. There's genuine belief and genuine fear from people that feel disempowered. So there's something there about the sort of socio-economic mm. inequality. Um, I think if, uh, for the international understanding of the subject and also uh, for the national, I think it's, must, it's very important to bring in the phenomena or the definition or structure of family, how family uh, works because it was uh, told that uh, these killings are happening in-house, usually. So it's very important, the family, in this sense. And I also have a very uh, perverted idea. Maybe you will hate it. But uh, I guess this story, um, not, it has, of course, a criminal aspect. It has a legal aspect. But I think you know it better. It has also a cultural aspect. And uh, if you want to make some uh, experiment in my mind, uh, it could be a very uh, interesting experiment to bring uh, elderly people from a uh, luxury uh, house for elderly from Western Europe and to exchange uh, with the people uh, from this uh, village, for example. Because then these uh, cultural questions would be very obvious from the reactions, from the discussions, but maybe it's a totally uh, other direction you want to go. The other thing, I don't know if you have broadcasters or, or, uh, or how the production is, but if you go to any pitches, I, I think the two, two things everyone will ask, who is the central character and what is the story of the film, not 
the problem or the issue, but but what is the story from A to B? If what is at the at the beginning and what is at the end? Is it about a tribunal case, or is there any one specific family that you are talking about? But who is the central character, and what is the very clear story that you can write down in an abstract in five five sentences? Because everyone is asking for for that, and no one has time to read anything. So if you want to have any, any broadcaster, you have to have it very clearly, what's the story and what it's all about very clearly. Nick, do you want to... So, look here, I've been scribbling away. First of all, this is the most important part. We start with kind of like getting down some of the key themes of the film. Obviously, we've identified the key location, which is Kenya, in the case of this project. Um, those are the themes that are coming out of the film. Can we dare, now that we know this... If you were to set yourself at this stage, in its early days, but if you were to set yourself an impact goal, you know, come on, let's be ambitious here, all right? <laughs> let's, be amb- let's dare to be ambitious. We're amongst friends. What would you set yourself? What would you love to see this film achieve in the context of Kenya? The, the stopping of, of the killings, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also, um, as Esther said, like in terms of the family dynamics, um, where did it... Where did it break down? Um, and what can we do for that dialogue? Because there's no dialogue, there's no communication. Um, so we're going to end the killing yeah. in Kenya of elders. And, and we're going to improve the dialogue, yeah. the, the kind of multi-generational dialogue. Yeah. Two fantastic impact goals. All right, take it away, Nick. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. Um, so what's the next one? Strategic audiences. So... I imagine, you know, that you would want to show to lawyers, the police and uh, governmental officials, um, but also children and, of course, the elders themselves. Um, um, so, but, you know, like you can, you can add a lot of people to that, but that's what I was thinking. Um, and then, well, let's, should we just have a, like a little talk through? Yeah, we did that. conversation we've set two really clear, bold I like that and they're also really clear how can we help reduce or end killings of elders what's great about that target it's also highly measurable you know you can really chart the effect of this film and improving this intergenerational dialogue which is more about a cultural shift mm-hmm. so what you've got there is an interesting differentiation when you know that then you go okay strategic audiences and remember this is the distinction between everybody and the most important people. So absolutely, as has been identified, given the issues here, um, just the phenomena and the growing phenomena, given the blockages we've got in the legal system, absolutely thinking about how you could get to lawyers, to police, to government officials, but also bringing this film and having conversations in school settings, in university settings, and also with elders themselves, giving them a place and a platform to speak. So for now, let's put that as our key strategic audiences, now, we're going to come back to this one because these are the kind of the gatekeepers. If we can go, let's interrogate this question of the impact dynamic, and we've kind of answered that a little bit here. Uh, this classically, improving intergenerational dialogue, that is a classic sort of changing hearts and minds and arguably also behavior as well when we talk about ending killing. So your key impact dynamics are, are centered around those, and it may also involve, actually, if we get success here, a little bit of um, institutional change, which is top-down change as well. So we've got three primary change dynamics at work there. And then with that in mind, you go, okay, we're two filmmakers. We're halfway through this project. 
Who can help us realize this? And then you start to enter a beautiful exercise, which is around mapping the field and saying, who are the organizations, both within the film world, sure, the film community, film funders who are interested, who might support this, but who's everyone else? Who's in this field? Who's working on it? Who have, ha- has the same passion, concern as I do? And Nick's been doing a little bit of thinking around that for this particular project. I just would like to have one question. Uh, there was no any uh, vom- woman voice in the trailer. Is it uh, because of a specific reason, or you just didn't edit to this very short clip? Uh, it's this short clip. We we have a few versions of this, um, and there, there are many female voices in the in the film. It's not as many as the male. But, uh, there are some cultural issues with speaking to women. That sometimes there there are cultural barriers. Um, so maybe, maybe it's also connected to the the subject, to the main subject. Cool. So the first film that came to mind when I was thinking about the kind of building the bridge between young people and elders is Ping Pong. I don't know if you've seen Ping Pong. Um, it's basically a very sweet film about um, the over 80s world championships of table tennis in outer Mongolia or inner Mongolia, one of the two. Um, and um, yeah, so it's all people playing ping pong, and they, you know, um, but it also highlights the kind of the health issues that they struggle with and, you know, um, loneliness. There's lots of different kind of topics that the film highlights. But the main thing that we, we worked on an impact campaign with this film in the UK. Um, and the main thing that we wanted to do to, it was to connect children with elder people. Is that a word, elder people? Mm-hmm. Elders. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's case studies. So, yeah, so that, that's definitely one that you should have a look at. And also, land rights. Um, there's a good film called either The Next Harvest, Next Harvest or The Last Harvest. I can't remember. Anyway, I can share it with you. Um, it was a good pitch film as well. So they... There's a lot of organizations that you can pick from that film. Um, but thinking about this now, um, I was thinking that you need some support, for example, from Amnesty International, obviously, because they're a massive um, membership network. Um, so they can help push for, um, you know, the kind of, um, well, the injustice that's being done. Um, and then I thought it was really interesting to maybe also speak to the UN Refugee Agency, um, they've been doing lots of work on this. You, you must know about that. Um, and also to get the media involved so you can change the kind of conversation uh, nationally and maybe internationally. Um, a big telecom provider maybe, like Safaricom or Airtel, um, they can text you know, the young people <laughs> uh, with messages or you know, whatever you want to communicate. Um, also, let's see. I always have so many things, so I'm trying to pick the highlights because we don't have a lot of time. Um, So there's, um, of course, the UK Department for International Development in Kenya. They do a lot of work on this as well. Um, Funding for kind of schools programs as well, so you might be able to put the film into schools. Um, There's a witchcraft and human rights information network. Which I was really interested. Like I was like, wow, there's there's like a massive network, um, you know, which can probably help the elders to communicate the message better, um, you know, talking about witchcraft. Um, there's Help Age Kenya, which I think is really cool. Um, also, a kind of not, non-profit organization representing older people and their rights, um, and then maybe some funders. Um, 
Surprisingly, again, there were quite a few smaller US foundations that would be, I'm not going to name them all, but I'll share the list with you, um, that might be interested in funding work um, to kind of highlight these issues. Coca-Cola Foundation in Africa is an obvious one for me. Um, um, who else did I want to mention? That was really one thing to note also, sometimes when we do this mapping exercises of, in the community who might be able to, su- to support, um, it's, it's uh, obviously local, and the people in your film and will be able to tell you the touch points, right, of, of where, this, where it would be helpful to have this, this conversation. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I thought there's a really cool angle for, like, engaging musicians and artists to kind of, you know, help make it more fun, the impact campaign. Um, thanks for that, Nicole. That's great. And, and it will be good to... T- to, to get the list. But um, so far we've spoken to the Chief Justice um, and he has been really helpful. He, he says, from his perspective, obviously it's difficult to tap into the police network because he says even for him that's very difficult so we need to try and navigate. Um, but he's been really great in terms of just trying to figure out where we can go with this film. And Chris was saying in terms of the traditional courts, um, um, they were willing to... Ha- provide us with a judiciary or a group of young people who we could go around with um, from the courts. Um, so that's been really good. We already spoke to Help Age, um, kind of in dialogue. Um, and who else has been... Oh, the music project. So we, we do have... Because we were trying to figure out um, from the musical aspect, because there is this possible music avenue at the moment um, and in terms of myself also being a musician. Um, we, we are trying to figure out how we can have an elaborate music project where there's elderly musicians and young musicians who come think, together and create, and, create, and create um, themes. Mm-hmm. So from pre-colonial to colonial to now, mm-hmm. those themes are the songs. So we've already spoken to several artists who have chosen other elderly musicians from the area and themes that can then fit and be the soundtrack also for the film. A lot of the victims of violence are also musicians yeah. and, and so, uh, oral... Culture and musical storytelling is, is, is obviously a big part of, of life. Other th- any other thoughts in the room? Paolo, let's just... Let's just get, yeah. um, there was a documentary in the UK called Brand a Witch, uh, which was about abuse uh, in witchcraft with kids, basically, and it was about Congo. Uh, I wonder if there is something... To me, witchcraft is like at the heart, how each one of them interprets, has their own interpretation of witchcraft. So I would like to know, what do the elders, and how do the elders talk about witchcraft, and how do the younger generation see it, like, really clearly? Because your dialogue, to me, is uh, is how you bridge those interpretations. It's proper myth-busting, actually. Yeah, there's clearly a cultural and a legal aspect to this, but I would really be interested to hear if you have mined more the economic aspects around land rights because I've watched a ton of films and I'm aware that this is probably, very possibly, the, the uh, sharp end of a geopolitical issue that is, wasn't, wasn't coming through in what I saw. Um, and in terms of impact uh, and influence um, going to root causes, I would be really eager to talk more with you after or hear more about what you've found out about that. 
And this is a really interesting note, thank you for that, that sometimes you end up with a, when you start mapping, you know, just generally themes of the film and it gets longer and longer and longer and longer and then you have to kind of go, hang on here. You know, I'm, I'm now placing so much burden on the shoulders of this one film. You know, can we take on land rights? Can we take on witch, witchcraft? And the truth is you end up distilling it down, you know, through the process of making the film and really analysing what naturally comes through and what your central protagonists speak to. And that ends up, you know, and you're right, it could be that, but it might not be. But it's, that, it's a really interesting thing you put your finger on there, which is not overburdening. No, and not all filmmakers are campaigners, right? So just, this is, we're having you up here to talk about this, but it might be that you hand this over to somebody else to do this part. And I just want to, one other thing, there's a program called Laku Music, which uh, is out of Haiti, where they're bring, bridging elders um, with younger musicians, and they're doing a beautiful project, and the, one of the women involved in that is here at IDFA. I can introduce you. Um, but I'm cognizant of the time, it's uh, noon, sorry, so I'm wondering sorry. if we should. Well, thank, thank you, thank all of you, Huge thank you in the room. Huge, yeah, you guys. And um, and just wrap up. If if there's one thing I'd like you to take away is I hope, well, two things. Number one, I hope that these extraordinary film teams and the work that they're doing and they're wrestling with is inspiring. I hope it feels doable. I hope it feels accessible. This, this work is not being un- undertaken by a kind of, you know, a handful of highfalutin, far-distant filmmakers. They're in our community, and they're all over the world, and their stories are making extraordinary change with it. And I guess I, guess I want you to... If the take-home is you, we believe, we know, that we're in a time where you can have it all. You can make exquisite, beautiful, important, urgent films... And if you want to, there is the opportunity to also deploy them in remarkable ways. And know that if that is the way that you want to travel, that there are a community of filmmakers and organizations ready to support you and work with you. And we also, um, if you come and talk to us, there's certain websites that list some of these resources of where you can get funding for these kinds of things. So we'd be happy to, to share that, that as well. Um, and we're here. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you very much indeed.